Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. As I mentioned earlier today, there are going to be uh, a number of candidates on your ballot if you happen to live in a Chicago ward where there is a runoff. A number of the seats that uh, were vacated either because of retirements or people moving to other elected office or at least trying to move to other elected office. Those seats were vacated uh, in many races. There were anywhere from five to ten different people competing for those seats in a race where there's so many people. It is almost impossible for one candidate to get 50 percent plus one. And so there are going to be a number of runoffs across the city of Chicago. One of those is going to be in the 46th Ward, where uh, Kim Walls is going to be facing Angela Clay in the runoff there. Kim joins us now to talk about her candidacy. Kim, welcome to the program. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. One of the things that I noticed about your candidacy is that... Um, there are a lot of people in uh, important positions in government who have endorsed you, Mike Quigley, uh, Governor Pritzker, plus uh, a number of um, people at the, at the state level. How do you think you got those endorsements? How do these people know you? Sure. So I started in Chicago politics in 2000. I, I moved to Chicago. I, I didn't know a soul. I walked into a, a precinct captain breakfast at a bar, and I said to someone, who should I meet here? And someone said, that's Mike Quigley, your county commissioner. And I walked up to him, said, I just got a master's in public policy from Georgetown, and I'm looking for a job. And he, and he hired me two weeks later. So I started out my career kind of being somebody that absolutely nobody sent. <laughs> uh, because that I work, which, uh, you know, it's, it's not often the case in Chicago politics. Um, but, you know, I spent 10 years working for Mike Quigley, eight years on the county side and two years on the federal side. And I developed a lot of relationships and people saw the work that I could do. They saw my commitment to the community and they knew that I was someone who could get stuff done, which is what we really need. So when I went to elected officials that I've met throughout my career and, and asked them to support me in this race, um, they were ready to endorse because they know that uh, we need to keep moving the Chicago, moving the city forward. What does an endorsement bring to a campaign? So you know, it depends on the endorsement. Uh, some of the elected officials who endorse me um, have contributed to my campaign. Um, some have been helping with me, uh, helping me, like you know, talk to voters or knock on doors or get engaged. Um, other ones, uh, you know, just having someone who can speak to the fact that they think that I have the skills and qualities we need to lead um, is also really important. Just having them as a validator when I talk about my experience, when I talk about what I can bring to the city, having someone else agree with that that is respected by the community is really important. What is it that motivated you to go from being somebody who was a dedicated behind-the-scenes worker to want to be the person whose name is on the ballot? Well, it's, it's a hard leap, and, it's, and even now it's, it's a little strange when I look at a sign or I'm talking to a voter to realize that, you know, oh, that's me, and I'm actually talking about me because, like you said, I'm so used to being the person behind the candidate. But, you know, I was raised by a teacher and a nurse, and my folks taught me that if something's broken, you fix it, and I want to be a part of fixing things. I think the city of Chicago is moving in the wrong direction. People don't feel safe. 
We have an affordability crisis in the city and in the ward, and we have a social safety net that's completely broken, and I want to fix things. Um, I have a brother who suffers from mental illness and is chronically unhoused, and I I lost both of my parents in, in the last five years, and one thing I always said to my parents, and I committed to them, that I was going to try and change the system for people like my brother and for other families who are really struggling to find care for their loved ones. I was going to ask you, a lot of people I know who run for office do so because there is something that has happened in their lives that makes them, you know, obviously people who want to run for office want to do a lot of good, but there's generally something particular that they, an area that they bring a particular passion to. Talk a little bit more about your family situation, your brother, and, and the ways that you think it might be better if you are in a position of power. So it, it's heartbreaking to have a family member going through something like this. Uh, my brother was actually a journalist. Um, he was on his way to his first uh, journalism job out of college when he had a schizophrenic break, and it forever changed all of our lives. And it began a cycle of trying to find treatment in a society where we don't have enough treatment, where we always have enough beds to put someone in jail, but we never have enough beds to get someone long-term care. And I came from a family where my mom was a nurse and we had, you know, medical expertise in the family. We still couldn't get the proper care for him. And it's still something we suffer with and struggle with today. Um, Just three weeks ago, I got a call from a police department that had picked him up and they Mm. said that he needed more long-term care. And they said they didn't have the options in the jail and they called the state of Illinois to try and get him long-term more substantive treatment. And the state of Illinois said, we don't have a bed for seven months. Oh. And, and the jail's response was, well, we can't take care of him either. So they called my family and said, you need to come pick him up or we're going to open the door and just let him out in the street. So oh. we, were, we were able to find um, a bed, but because it was a voluntary situation, he checked himself out the next day because oh. we don't have the kind of care that he needs. And it's heartbreaking that we have um, a country with so much abundance and a state that has so much to offer that they are still saying that there's a seven-month wait for someone to get the treatment that he needs. Oh, my and God. It's, it's, it's so broken. And we always have a bed in a jail that, that's always available as an option. And we don't have enough resources to actually care and, and help people. And I hear from so many family, other families that talk about this. I'm very open talking about it. And I have friends call me and say, I have a cousin, I have a, a sibling, I have a friend, and they just don't know where to go. And we've completely failed families and individuals going through these types of crises. I'm speaking with Kim Walls. She is going to be on your ballot if you live in Chicago's 46th Ward, uh, she's running against Angela Clay. Uh, you will be voting on April 4th. We are going to continue our discussion with her right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Alderman James Kappelman decided to leave the Chicago City Council. Six people jumped into the race to replace him. The top two vote-getters were Angela Clay, who on uh, February 28th had roughly 34% of the vote, and Kim Walls, 
who came away that night with 25% of the vote. These two will be in a runoff. It is going to be the same ballot where you pick the next mayor of Chicago on April 4th. We are talking to Kim Walls right now. Uh, we just talked about part of why she wants to get out from behind the scenes and get into a position where she can get things done in addition to um, mental health services and services for the unhoused, Kim, what are some of the other areas that you really want to tackle as a city council person? Well, public safety is a top priority, and this is something I hear over and over again when I'm talking to neighbors across the ward. And this is also something that I personally feel. We're at a point in Chicago where people are starting to have a conversation, you know, with themselves or those around them. Should I carry my purse when I walk outside? Should I leave my cell phone at home? Because people just don't feel as safe. And I am very focused to uh, dealing with the public safety issue in the Chicago. Uh, we need to fill vacant positions in the police department. We have over 1,500 vacant positions. And that means that 911 calls can't be responded to in a promptly manner. Or that, in, you know, police officers can't get out of their cars as much and develop, uh, you know, relationships with the community and work on issues with trust. And it means that businesses might not want to invest in the city of Chicago. People don't want to move here, visit here. And it's, it's a crisis in the city that we've got to tackle immediately from a short-term perspective and a long-term perspective. Well, one of the big questions is always, where's the money going to come from? What do you think? Sure. So when I worked for Mike Quigley in the county, we wrote seven reports on how to restructure and reinvent government. Because I firmly believe that are, there are absolute government efficiencies that we can find where we can save money in the existing budget. We also aren't spending money that we're allocating for different programs. Last year, we allocated $85 million for violence prevention programs, but we only spent $5 million. We're just not even spending the money we're budgeting. Who's in charge of, of doing that or, as the case may be, not doing that? Well, that's what I want to find out, because there's a complete lack of accountability for our tax dollars being used in the city. I recently learned that when city council members vote on the city budget, they don't get um, the prior year's estimated expenditures. So they're asking the council to vote on a budget and not telling them how much they think they spent the year prior in estimated expenditures, which is unacceptable. So how can... City council or any elected official, for that matter, keep going back to the taxpayers and saying, oh, we need more money for this. We need money for that. If they're not actually told how much is being spent. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of out of left field, but uh, a few of the older people that I talked to many months ago were uh, raising the issue of things might be a little bit more organized in the Chicago City Council if there was an actual city charter, if there were actual, here's what we do, here's how we do it, we're laying it all out right here, we've all voted for it, we've accepted it. And just this morning, uh, I read another article that said, uh, I think it was in Crane's Chicago Business, and they were looking at San Diego and how they function. And the legislator in San Diego said, well, one of the things you guys are missing is you don't have a city charter. You know, it's sort of like, here's what we do and how we do it and who does what. Um, is that something that you would support, a city charter? I, I like the idea of it. My concern would be how much time we'd have to spend arguing over what the city charter would say. 
and how much time that would take from other more immediate priorities in the city. But I support the, the concept of it for sure. But the city spends so much time arguing right now about things that aren't pressing issues. Uh, and I really think we have to focus on the affordability crisis and public safety and the property tax crisis in this city and really get to the root causes of those issues and how we're going to solve them. And then it would be great if we could address issues like the charter as well. On February 28th, a lot of people across the city of Chicago voted for policed district councils. I believe each police district, uh, they were voting for three people to sit on the council. But progressives have argued that, you know, while these district councils have been created, they really don't have any real power. You know, they can tell the police what the community thinks. They can tell the community what the police think. They can potentially make recommendations, but they have no, there's no teeth to any of it. Do you think that they need to be given teeth? Well, I'm optimistic that they can serve as a bridge between the community and the police department. But I think time will tell whether or not they're able to actually have the teeth that they need because there are you know, there are provisions where their decisions can be overridden and we need to see how far they really can get. What I find frustrating about all of the different models we've tried to bring more community to the police is, is we, we end up kind of giving up on them and not funding them and not staffing them. The city of Chicago used to have a model program through the CAPS program that was emulated in cities across the country, and then we just stopped properly funding it and properly staffing it, and then it's now just a portion of what it used to be. And I just want to make sure that this the new councils have the chance to succeed, and any way that I can do that as elected official to help them succeed, I will do. Neither you nor Angela, you know, got enough votes to put you over the top. So there's a big bunch of votes out there that went to some of the other four candidates. And of course, there's always the voters who don't even bother to vote. What are you going to do to expand your base to include enough people in the 46th Ward to get you elected? Well, I'm going to focus on the issues that really matter to the ward. And as I mentioned before, the issue I hear over and over again is public safety. And I'm the only one in the race really talking about the short-term solutions of filling all of the vacant positions in the police department. We cannot be having conversations at this point in Chicago about disinvesting the police. We have to be filling these vacant positions, getting officers back on the street, and also making sure we have enough detectives and making sure we have enough evidence technicians. I've learned that this Chicago Police Department shares two DNA evidence technicians with the Illinois State Police. And it's not that we share two of ours. There are two, the entire state of Illinois, which means, Joan, that if you have a DNA evidence at a crime scene from either a sex crime or another crime, that it could take up to two years to process that evidence which means that individual is back on the street and committing more crimes. We have got to dedicate resources to the police department and making sure that not only do we have cops out on the street, so there can be building trust, be patrolling our neighborhoods, but also enough people to actually solve and investigate crimes as well. What is your game plan for the time left to get out and uh, get your message out to your voters? I am talking to as many people as I can, knocking on doors, phone calls, having meet and greets in buildings, uh, communicating in every way that I can. Some people like it if you knock on their door. Other people like it if you have a coffee meet and greet and they can meet you in person. Other people want to look at a piece of mail. So I'm just trying to reach uh, every voter, you know, where they're at. And I'm doing it all with a six-month-old baby. So <laughs> it's, uh, 
it's quite quite the experience to launch a campaign while pregnant and give birth three days before petitions start. But uh, I'm doing it. Wow. Um, hey, hats hats off to you. Well, uh, speaking of uh, somebody who lives in the city of Chicago with a child, uh, talk about uh, education a bit again. There's been a big move by Governor Pritzker to start education in the earliest years that um, people will not succeed if they don't get that early start. Would you, you know, we have uh, two education candidates running to be the next mayor of Chicago. So hopefully whoever wins will make education a huge priority. If you get a chance to sit down with the new mayor, as far as the education realm, what are you going to ask them to prioritize? So I'm excited that the governor is prioritizing early child education. Uh, 50% of the intellectual development of a child happens before the age of three. So we have to make sure that every child in Chicago has access to quality child care, quality pre-K, and those tools they need so that to set them up to succeed in our schools. And that is a priority for me. And especially now being a new mom, we make it so difficult in the city of Chicago and this country to be parents with the cost of education and child care and formula and diapers. And we need to do a lot better job at helping uh, families succeed. And, you know, I've been told that, you know, from people who run food pantries, that there is more demand now than there has been in many, many years. And a lot of food pantries are starting to carry things like diapers and and formula. Um, how would you expand access to those very necessary things? We've got to look at where else can we find uh, public dollars to help support those programs. It's incredibly important. And we also have to look at formula and the access to formula, as we saw during the shortage earlier this year. Um, there's a lot of um, limited options when it comes to the women, infant, children, the WIC program for access to formula. And usually it's just access to one brand. And if there's a formula shortage due to a factory shutdown, it creates a lot of disruption in the industry and really um, impedes access to a lot of individuals for formula. So I want to work to make sure that we have broader access to formula and that there's more funding to help uh, sustain that as well. We know that a lot of money pours into congressional races and Senate races and even races for mayor of the city of Chicago. Is it difficult to fundraise for an aldermanic race? It is because you have to spend so much time trying to raise money just to get your message out. When you, I would much rather be spending that time calling voters, knocking on doors, and going to visit people. But in an area like the 46th Ward, a lot of it is not knockable because we have so many high-rises. And your means of communication in an accessible way are very limited to those buildings. Like, you know, I stand outside buildings at bus stops and talk to voters on their way to and from work. Um, try and have meet and greets in the buildings, but ultimately you need to raise the money to have mail and advertising going into those buildings so you can introduce yourself to all of those voters. But I wish we had public financing of campaigns in the city, and I would be a a supporter of it if we did. (laughs) Yeah, I can see where that would be. That would be extremely useful. Give give our listeners a site where they can go to learn more about you. KimWalls.com, W-A-L-Z. And the easy way to remember it is like the dance minus the T, Kim Waltz. <laughs> okay, Waltz minus the T. We'll, re- we'll remember that. 
Kim, I wish you, I wish you the best of luck. I know that um, having a six-month-old is draining, and I know that campaigning is draining. So God love you for even being awake enough to talk to us on the radio right now. Um, I think it shows that you've got a lot of stamina. Yes, and a lot of caffeine. <laughs> yes. That's uh, Kim Walls. She's going to be on your ballot if you live in the 46th Ward. You will have a chance to vote for her on April 4th when you choose the new mayor for the city of Chicago. That's going to do it for me. Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez is up next. Uh, Santita Jackson kicks our day off every morning at 6 a.m. I will join you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Stay safe, my friends. Have a great evening. Good night.